This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, is, is that a pie behind you? No, no. What pie? There's no pie. It, it looks like it, it, it's like it's smashed to smithereens. What are you doing over there? I don't know what you're talking about. There's no, let me just pull up my pants for a second. I, I okay. just, this is embarrassing. Did I tell you about the time when I uh, popped a cherry? I, I don't want to know this story. No, it's not, it's not bad. I helped this person bake an actual cherry pie. Why do you always have to make everything so gross, Dave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> an existential question. A crisis. I even. will say, though, that cherry pie, best lay I've ever had. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen. This monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave versus versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. Hello, I'm still Dave. And I'm the machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Of course, we're also seemingly going through the entire year of 1999. Today, we get to talk about American Pie. American Pie. Okay, well, one time at band camp, I stuck a flute... <coughs> Is it the getting caught? Hey, Jimmy. Just wanted to say sweet dreams. Yeah, yeah. Good night, Mom. I, I think he's trying to watch some illegal channels here. What, illegal, illegal channels? This is just a bad reception, huh? Oh, baby. What's that? You know what, dude? Just uh, give me this oh, and let's God. get this. Yeah. Oh, oh, what the hell's the matter with this thing here? The awkward moments. I want the right time, the right moment, the right place. It's not a space shuttle launch. It's sex. The infatuation. I love you. <laughs> okay. The desperation. What exactly does it feel like? Warm apple pie. Dave, I am so curious because you're a little bit older than I am about what your relationship is with. Oh, Dave, is this? this It's been a while. Is that floating door again? You got to get that thing fixed back again. You got to get that thing fixed. One second, let me let me open it up here. Well, hello. Oh, hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Kyle and Dave? I'm doing good. We have all we all, of course, are still staying socially distant through uh, screens, although. Um, it might sound like me and Jennifer are in the same room, but it's only your ears deceiving you. Jennifer, I think what we should do before, you know, we, we jump into talking about movies, maybe you can describe who you are and what it is that you're doing here as I shout angrily at you. Well, you know, I wear several hats, but probably the hat that I'm most proud of is president of the Kyle and Dave versus the Machine fan club. I know. A, a position I accept with pride and, and dignity. I saw the patches you made. It was very lovely. I want yes, a patch. Yeah, all members are required to wear five to ten pieces of flair. Great. Oh, <laughs> nice. I'm a, I'm a podcaster myself. I am the host of In the Reads, Canada's conservation podcast for Ducks Unlimited Canada. But, you know, despite my Conservation Hall of Fame, I think the great calling of my life has been as a two-time employee of the month at Blockbuster Video oh, in 1999. Yes. I mean, sweet. you should carry that around with you in Obviously. your wallet somehow. Sounds like she does, uh, Kyle. 
I mean, she does. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I, I mean, it's serendipitous that you're here. I just happen to know through conversations in the past that you are a fan of American Pie. And so I would love just before we go and watch the movie, I should even just ask, do you have time to watch this movie with us here today? Yeah, I can make the time. Sure. Great. Um, what is your history with American Pie? You know, obviously, you know, working at a video store, I, you know, some listeners might not remember Blockbuster Video, but for those who are of that that time, know it for its iconic status of, hey, what do you want to do? Well, let's go rent a video. And that being like an arduous process that required, you know, burning carbon and reading the backs of videos right. and spreading germs and and always being dismayed that the video you wanted was never, ever, ever there. Um, I, I had a 52-week straight of being able to uh, rent Kangaroo Jack. So, I mean. <laughs> oh, congratulations. That's great. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I've loved film my entire life. And I think American Pie represents a very important film in its time. And even today, I think that it paved the way for a lot of films and also gives credit to a lot of films of, of the past of the 80s. Was this a film that you first saw in theaters or was this a rental first? Oh, absolutely. Growing up in Calgary, I think there was a lot of anticipation about this film coming out. And it was that quintessential group hang. I mean, you know, I remember the theater being packed with my classmates and, you know, people who had lied to their parents about being somewhere else. And, you know, we were all together and it was really a coming of age film at a coming of age time. How about you, Dave? Uh, what What is your history with American Pie? I love the soundbite. We, we just subtexted as the coming of age. No, uh, right. Yeah. I, uh, I loved this movie. I haven't watched it in probably 20 years, so I don't want to uh, go too forward. But uh, when it came out, I'll agree uh, it was uh, a pretty big, let's even say cultural phenomenon. Uh, I don't remember what it was exactly. Was was this something you saw in theaters though? This yes. was a, a theater movie for you? Yeah, it was a big this is a big thing. I mean, it's not Star Wars episode 1 The Phantom Menace big, but uh mm -hmm. it was uh it was, you know, it was kind of a big deal. I I don't remember if I went opening Weirdly weekend. Enough, I, can I just make a very bold claim here? Sure. I think this is going to, you know, uh, spoil maybe the uh, the eventual outcome of this podcast. I think maybe American Pie is more culturally relevant than that film you just mentioned. Uh, which film? Star Wars episode sorry, Star one? Star Wars uh, colon episode one dash The Phantom Menace. Um, yeah. I, well, one one is hated universally and the other was <laughs> lauded. Um, A movie. I, I don't know, if, for example, if I knew about it and went opening weekend, but definitely by reputation, uh, this movie was a movie you had to go see in that era for sure. This is absolutely a movie that for me is based entirely on reputation. Uh, this is like me living my sheltered life out on the farm. But I mean, I knew about this movie. I know every soundbite from this movie. I have seen clips from this movie. I have never actually watched this movie start what? to finish before. What? Yeah. So never, never this, not once. I heard this uh, rumor I that- I heard this rumor that your, uh, is it true that the theater in your small town burnt down? I, d I don't know where I've heard <laughs> that, that is before. That's true. My, my theater burnt down in, or I can't remember, it's 97 or 98 and then didn't come back until 2001. So mm. this is in that period where there was no way I would have been able to see this unless my parents drove me 45 minutes to watch it. And that wasn't going to happen for American Pie, let me tell you that. You didn't have a loose dad like uh, Jason Biggs did in this film. <laughs> did you say a loose dad? <laughs> What does that mean? 
I'm just shrugging. I don't shrugging. know these weird terms you use from Toronto, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we keep things loose, Kyle. We keep things right, very loose. So. Uh, so I'm excited about this because, yeah, I know all this stuff like after the fact and it's my sense some will have to check the history books. But for me, this feels like a movie that absolutely came out in 1999, but it really wasn't until like 2000 or like at least six or seven months later that it really started to catch on once it got to video. And I think more people were able to see it. That's my sense, though. I don't know. Again, I'm just a country bumpkin who knows nothing. <laughs> well, I can weigh into that from a from a blockbuster video sure. perspective was that, you know, this film, you know, did come out at a time when when young people were going to the theater. But when it had its release, I remember it vividly. It came out two days before Christmas. And it, so it had a lot of pre-orders. People were buying it as Christmas gifts. But then it didn't have a lot of viewership because, of course, Families were together at Christmas and you weren't going to be like, hey, grandma, let's watch American Pie together. Sure. But then as we got into, you know, the, the dead of winter when there's no ac other activity and, you know, you know, you're with your friends, it was steadily popular. It was this film and The Mummy that we consistently mm. were, were seeing going out. We never had it in stock. We also for your information, had a lot of changeover because this was really the early advent of things being available on both VHS and DVD, Ooh. and nobody could get the hang of DVD. So they would come back right. scratched, broken in half. Like it was really a time where people were, you know, being a little <laughs> rough with this new technology. But it also held the record for videos that we would get and we would scan it in. And it's like, this is 72 weeks overdue. Like they would <laughs> continued right. over time to be something that was forgotten under couches, inside DVD players, and in those, you know, apocalyptic bedrooms um, of young people. So it was, it had a lot of popularity sort of later in its run, but then it continued to be that piece that when young people would come in as a, like when kids would come in as a group, like in my own age group, you know, you know, they were going to look around and look around and look around. And after about 30 minutes, you just knew they were going to grab American pie because it was so you know, just yeah. their piece for their time. And they wanted to watch it together and share it together, even though many of them had seen it dozens of times. I guess it's a good thing that Blockbuster eliminated those late fees so that that 72 <laughs> weeks <laughs> I, I didn't cost them a single thing. I suspect oh, yeah, that uh, there was a particular section in the tape that kept getting worn out and yes, broke. Over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, yeah, that would be correct. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's do this. We have some time. Let Let's go thank some sponsors. And when I say that, let me go thank some sponsors. We'll watch the movie. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about American Pie. Hi there. This is Kyle breaking into the middle of the episode once again. You're probably listening to this a little bit later than usual because I very selfishly decided to go on a mini vacation out to a cabin in the woods with no internet service. And I'm getting back now and trying to get this episode up as quickly as I possibly can. Um, so still blame the machine though, but just know that that is also uh, part of the reason. So let's start here. Kyle and Dave versus the machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave versus the machine is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is owned by Chris Kozowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in the Emmett 
Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local businesses. He walks that talk with his business. It's why Park Power shares its profits with local charities. As a new customer, you can choose a community partner to receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity bill, like the CKUA Radio Network, or maybe the Boys and Girls Club of Strathcona County, even Muscular Dystrophy Canada, or the Altview Foundation for Gender Variant and Sexual Minorities. You can visit parkpower.ca to find out more. This week, Kylan Day vs. the Machine is also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, so let's listen to one of our other great shows. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All right. Do we feel dirty or do we feel good <laughs> about watching that movie? The only thing I feel dirty about is uh, Chris Klein. I agree. <laughs> Your hatred of Chris Klein knows no bounds, Dave. Um, I'm excited to jump into this with both of you and see whether you think it holds up and, and what your feelings are. But before we do that, let's go through some history, uh, some background information. So American Pie was released into theaters July 9th of 1999. The only other film really that was you might be able to say was big was the thriller Arlington Road, which was written by Aaron Kruger, directed by Mark Pellington, starring Jeff Bridges, Tim Robbins and Joan Cusack. Not a I bad don't know ca- anything about that movie that's, at all. I've never heard ba- of it, I don't think. That's not a bad cast. No, it sounds great. Arlington um, Road. But no one talks about it. Currently, this film is rated 7.0 on IMDb, 58 on Metacritic, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 128 critics' reviews, it's at 61%. And based on, and I checked this three times to make sure I wasn't misreading uh, it, 33 million reviews on Rotten Tomatoes by the users... 61% as well. So it's like the critics and the uh, viewers have the exact same number, which is doesn't usually happen very much. It's currently available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can rent or buy it on iTunes or on Google Play Movies. And in Canada, at least, you can also stream this on Prime Video. Its budget back in 1999 was $12 million. Its opening was $18 million. So great. It made its money back on opening weekend. Domestically, it would go on to make another $101 million domestically, internationally 132, which brings its total up to 234 million or adjusted for inflation, about $360 million, which pretty great rate of return, I would say, on on kind of an R-rated sex comedy. In Canadian dollars today, that's like a billion dollars. The exchange rate is just really not <laughs> right that good. Right now it would be, yeah. yeah. Its plot description from IMDb is, for, is it raining? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's raining behind us. Um, Its plot description is 
Four teenage boys enter a pact to lose their virginity by prom night. So that is the succinct, succinct description of this movie, I guess. Talk about a description written for a very specific target audience. No, 100%. Also, you know what's great uh, about that is a synopsis that's uh, quick and to the point instead of some of the that ones that- doesn't go on for four paragraphs yeah. about like the <laughs> Explains serial killer that's on the loose in the, a small town. The yeah. director's intent in filming this. It stars Jason Biggs as Jim Levenstein, Thomas Ian Nicholas as Kevin Myers, Eddie K. Thomas as Dean Paul Finch, and Chris Klein as Chris Oz Ostrecker. By the way, do you remember that time, I feel like, in the 90s where every single person had to have three names? Like, this is Thomas Ian Nicholas and Eddie K. Thomas and Sean William Scott. Like, it seemed like every person had to have three names. It's weird. I I blame Haley Joel Osment for that. Yeah, it's all his fault. Haley Joel. uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas may have been the first one, perhaps. JTT. Let's talk about those uh, those guys. Let me just push this button here so I can take a look at uh, some of the information about these people. So it says, Chris Klein, uh, this may be a cop-out, but if you want to hear about Chris Klein, you can go and listen to our episode on election. But just so that you know, this was his second ever film. So that means we can go on to Eddie K. Thomas. He was born October 31st, 1980. Eddie began his career in his early teens. His first film credit is Ill Town, which co-starred Tony Danza from 1996. The American Pie franchise would certainly be lucrative for him, but he'd go on to be in such things as Stolen Summer, Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, and Wasted. In recent years, he would get into voice acting, being in 86 episodes of American Dad. And currently, there is no current future projects for him. So, very succinct uh, recap of Eddie K. Thomas here. Or no, what is his name? Oh, I was right, Eddie K. Thomas. Dave, it looks like the machine wants you to carry forward, so I'm just going to push this. You can uh, print it off on your Epson printer over there, and you can take it from here. Just to uh, further that, Epson has this great printer. They'll never pay us, will they? Never. Uh, Let's see. Thomas Ian Nicholas, born July 10th, 1980. Thomas began acting as as a kid? Yeah, sure. Thomas began acting as a kid. His first credit was on an episode of Who's the Boss, a sitcom that starred Tony Danza, Six Degrees yeah, Man. There's a little, there's a yeah. weird uh, symmetry here. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully Tony Danza's not the, no, I won't go there. If you were of the right age and watched a bunch of Disney live action films in the early to mid 90s, then you might remember him in starring roles in films like Rookie of the, oh my God, he was the kid in Rookie of the Year. Yes, he was. Now That's, I can't was unsee that. Me nuts. It was like, I know who this kid is and where do I know him from? <laughs> Holy shit. I can't unsee it. I'm, I'm a little caught. Hold on a second. Rookie of the year. All right. I'll let you. <sighs> you're verklempt. Let's, I'll, I'll let you take a moment. <laughs> and the kid in King Arthur's Court. American Pie would help his visibility in Hollywood. He would follow this movie up by appearing in a few episodes of Party of Five. If you ended it there, then it would be so sarcastic. It would be awesome. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you need to know about that's Thomas Ian Nicholas. <clears throat> and then it'd be the rules of attraction and Hollywood, oh, sorry, and Halloween resurrection. He's been. How, in, did, how did those films get uh, rented at Blockbuster? Yeah, the bottom shelf, one copy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just keep it. When they rent it, we just go, just keep it. Yeah, okay. just bring it back. We don't need it back. He's been in sporadic roles since the early 2000s. In 2016, he took on a new role of producer and up. Uh, 
So, oh gosh, an upcoming film, I think, is what okay, the machine okay. meant to to write there. Don't tell me what time meant to do. An upcoming film he helped produce is Adverse. The next film you might be able to see where he's acting is the remake of. Sorry, I started laughing. The next film you might be able to see where he's acting is the remake of Nosferatu, which is currently in post production. Kyle, I'm gonna start proofreading these. Yeah, you better. Yeah, it's not like I only sent this to you thirty minutes ago. Well, the machine just printed it right now. That's, that's right. That's the narrative. Jason Biggs, born May 12, 1978. Jason started acting as a young teen. He began, his guest sp- uh, he began with guest spots on TV before making his film debut in Camp Stories in 1997. American Pie would certainly catapult him into a brief flirtation with fame. He would appear in the three sequels, but doing the late but during the late 90s and early 2000s, he'd also be in Detroit Rock City, Saving Silverman, Jersey, Go- Jersey Girl, and Eight Below. He's continued working, but his major role people may be familiar with is in Orange is the New Black, where he plays Piper's husband. Up next is The Subject. Oh, it currently has no plot description. That would have been a good one. The Subject, to have a... It, w- it would have been nice if the machine had actually said there's currently no subject for yeah. the subject, but alas, <laughs> that opportunity was wasted. And we lost it. This movie is written by Adam Hertz, born September 10th, 1972. American Pie was Adam's first writing credit. He would also write the next two sequels. However, if you don't know, if you write a movie and then a sequel happens or characters from that movie appear in a different movie, you get credit and paid for that. Therefore, because of direct-to-video sequels and the real sequels, Adam has done very well for himself with this franchise. There's a little touch of bitterness there, Kyle. Besides, <laughs> sold. besides I don't want to say this because I think he's only written two things his entire life, which was American Pie, the first one, and then one other thing, and that's he's basically had checks for the rest of his life. I just, I just feel like you saw him on a picture of a yacht or something, and now you just you can't let it go. I mean, goddamn, Adam hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Besides a quickly canceled TV show called Go Fish, the only other non-American Pie-related project is the TV movie Best Intentions from 2019. It's being made into a TV series. Its plot description is, a film about a teenager, his awkward single father, who is the guidance counselor at his school, and the all-too-smart women of their fumbling affections. Oh my god. First in line, I'm going to be there. This movie, this movie was directed by Paul Weitz, born November 19, 1965. He began his career as a writer, first with a short film called Ribs in 1992. His first full-length film writing credit is Ants from 1998. American Pie would be his first film as a director. He would not return for any of the sequels, but would go on to write the... Uh, but it would go on to write and direct About a Boy, one of Kyle's favorites, did I have to read that? In Good Company yes, and American Dreams. It's like you're writing these or something. For the last few uh-huh. years, he's been helping to write and direct the show Mozart in the Jungle. Up next is a Which film called- Which I think called- is such a wild, I don't know, career trajectory from going from American Pie to whatever, peak what television hap- writing. What happened to George? Up next is a film called Fatherhood. Its plot description is, a father brings up his baby girl as a single dad after the unexpected death of his wife, who died a day after their daughter's birth. 
that's a comedy, right? Lighthearted. Yeah, lighthearted family romp. It's riveting. <laughs> um, uh, so that's some backstory here that, about this movie. But let's start with our guest here today. Jennifer, I know you kind of alluded to this at the very beginning about how you feel this movie definitely like uh, is inspired by some things from the past. Uh, but I guess in general, thoughts and feelings about American Pie in 19 or I guess in the year 2020. Yeah, you know, I think this is this is a film that is part of an important continuum. So, you know, when I watch American Pie now in 2020, I think back to 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and I think there's striking similarities between the two films. You know, the 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 main character in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Stacey Hamilton, paid, played by a very young Jennifer Jason Lee, has many of the same qualities as as Jason Biggs' character Jim, that sweet but clueless person coming to age, and and you really see in the scripts. Uh, an effort to say like we want this person to be relatable more than we want this person to be a you know a sex symbol you know you also see like you know the mark radner character played by brian backer who who loves you know stacy hamilton we see um you know those same love interest qualities in nadia and michelle you know that they they you know they have an an affection for that clueless character but know kind of from moment 1 that they're going to maybe be in control mm. of of that and then of course you know you've got those mature guides that you know seem to give those those you know that great advice but really find themselves to be clueless themselves you know we see the same character lineup in both films and then i think i think the most important similarity you see is you know, in Fast Times, you've got a very young Sean Penn in that role of that iconic role of Jeff Spicoli with the van mm -hmm. shoes. And and you see that that same kind of it's hard to describe because I really do believe that it's Sean William Scott fulfilling his purpose to ruin everything he touches with one dimensional characters. But, you know, you see him as Stifler that, you know, that idiot man that's there for for laughs, and, you know, doesn't grow. He's just there to sort of, you know, provide foil to all mm -hmm. the other characters growth. Um, it, it is really amazing to me that there's a striking similarity between the two films. And and when I think about American Pie achieving the goal of 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 trying to describe what, you know, the sexual experience was for for both men, boys and girls, men and women, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's a really important piece for its time. Certain mm -hmm. parts hold up. I know we'll discuss that and certain parts really, really don't. But I think right. it's important to think of this film as a continuum and and you know you know maybe one day you'll talk about the film Superbad uh, with Jonah Hill and and Michael Sarah I don't think that film would have been what that film was with without the lift from American Pie. Mm. I mean I I guess I'm curious then um not that I'm expecting you to speak for like all women in in this case but do you feel that there is a bit of a different way that women specifically are treated in American Pie versus like Fast Times or is it similar I don't know. I don't know where you fall on that. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, Fast Times was really sort of the, the 80s was really about like that early sexuality of women, but they were still finding their sexuality within the guise of, you know, of, of men still defining a bit of their identity. Now here in American Pie, you see the advent of I'm in my own sexual awakening. You figure out how your dysfunction operates around that. And we see that in really dynamic scenes with Tara Reid as in the role of Vicky um, and, and, and certainly with Alison Hannigan in the, in the role of, of, of Michelle, this women's empowerment of, hey, you know, you figure out what, who you are, but, but I'm now sexually empowered. And I think that was a very important film for for young people to see that represented on on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, how about you, Dave? What are your thoughts now that you've revisited this after 20 years? I'm just, first of all, I'm just imagining uh, on Kyle's wall a centerfold layout of Jason Biggs when he was in Playgirl magazine. Uh, it's pretty hot stuff. Was he in Playgirl magazine? <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, I don't have any sort of, uh, I suppose, input on the uh, on the historical sort of uh, movement in teen comedies uh, that gets us to American Pie. But it sounds that sounds like right on par. I, I think the fascinating thing that I would definitely agree with. I was actually surprised at uh, how. Particularly for the time, in depth and empowering the female roles ended up being uh, a lot of the quotable and memorable pieces. Are it almost felt like I was going to go into a bro movie and uh, watch them get humiliated for an hour and a half is pretty gratifying. Uh, say what I will about uh, acting chops of teenage actors, etc. It's a it's a fascinating movie in that by the end, um, yeah, they're all rightfully made to be fools for the idiotic sort of gamble they made uh, in the opening sequence there's a moment when as it started i was like oh man like what a bunch of morons <laughs> and this is going to turn into a classic tale of a bunch of guys just uh, objectifying women and, you know not to be too much on the other side too but i was a little worried to be honest as it started because uh, i mean with the exception i think of shannon elizabeth's character uh nadia where there's some interesting <laughs> Uh, forced pornographic moments for her mm -hmm. uh, but uh yeah you know it was, uh, i, I want to talk about that specific scene a little bit later because i think there's a lot to actually like break down for that but to, i'm actually really aligned with you dave to undress the, maybe or, yeah. we got to address that topic i was a little bit nervous coming into this movie again because i knew the quotes and i had never actually seen the movie from front to back before uh I was like, there is no way this film will stand up in the year 2020. And I figured I knew what I was coming into because I think so many reviewers and so many conversations about this film have put it into the same, um, I don't know, critical, critical consensus as something like Porky's or um, kind of that mindless sex comedy where it's just about like titillation. Like Animal House. Animal House, that sort of thing where that is kind of it and so what i was what i was fascinated by was the fact that oh like the the women are the, like this are portrayed and are meant to be like the smart ones in this entire group and kind of have their shit together a little bit more than what the guys have and it's like i would never in a million years have thought that american pie has a better sense of like consent and that sort of thing than some like modern movies have of um of like romance and that sort of thing. So I, I found all of that really fascinating. My preconceived notions kept getting knocked away, knocked away, knocked away. I, I thought what was kind of kind of beautiful about this movie, for lack of a better term, is is that idea that it's showing these guys, these teenagers, who of course, I mean, I was a teenage boy, so I kind of get it. Like you're obsessed with sex for a long time, <laughs> uh, just because it's so like taboo. No one really talks about it in any real terms. So it's like I'm trying to figure this out, and this is you know where pornography for a lot of time enters into a person's life because that's the only place that you have that outlet with. But I think at the end, it's kind of uh, turned into like like sex is important in quotes, but it's not the most important thing in your life, and that is really what they kind of end off with. This is also why I am kind of more upset by that one scene that you were talking about, Dave, of basically the uh, the live cam 
and basically having her unknowingly undress in in front of people to the point of because the rest of the film was so I'll just say forward thinking or seemingly forward thinking. I honestly thought that while I was watching it, that that was what the rug was going to be that was pulled out is that she knew what was going on to like make fun of him somehow and that he was going to be looked uh, looked at as the fool. But um, he sort of looked at as the fool after that. But I don't know. It, it, it felt weird and kind of out of touch. I don't know if you have a, a different perspective of that, Jennifer. Well, you know, I kept thinking about Aaron Andrews, the the um, the ESPN reporter who had actually had that happen to her when she mm. checked into a hotel, and and it really it really became this you know this big court case where she had to testify that she was she was videotaped from a hotel room by a stranger who then who then you know live streamed it and published it. And and that really became at the at the forefront of the Me Too movement and, and a, r- a larger conversation about cons- consent. I don't want this to go down that path, but yeah. I think that it, it really was an interesting part where you tried to sort of think, you know, how are we going to reclaim Jim as the character, his his affable nature? Because this is a, a pretty salacious thing to do. And they presented in the film at that time period, like, oh, th- th- you know, this is kind of ingenious, this, th- right. this plan. I, I do have to wonder because, you know, it's it's been talked about that that scene itself did not go the way the directors wanted it to go. Mm. Like the the there was meant to be body doubles and, and Jason Biggs body double showed up and didn't look enough like him. So Jason Biggs actually had to do it. And then Shannon Elizabeth, went, OK, well, I'll do it. So I think that 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 whole scene may ha- might have been something different than the director had envisioned. I'd be interested to look at the original screenplay and see right. exactly what it was envisioned. You know, maybe just, you know, maybe just was at a, at a period of time where they thought this was acceptable. But I would be interested to know if it intended to be something else. Well, yeah. And there's been so many stories that have come out about how, uh, you know, you have a script and what you're supposed to do. And but then reality sets in of like, we have two hours to get this done. It's all about that process, right? Um, I forget who it was. I think it was the director of Shazam of all movies who I thought made this really great video about that, which is like, you spend all this time, there's a script. And then it's because you know what, I only have this kid actor for these like this two hours. Great, I'll have him here, but he won't be in this scene because it's more important for him to be here. And then someone on the internet will be like, oh, it's so ingenious that he only shows up in this scene because thematically it makes more sense. And it's like, sure, sure. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant it to be. When all it was is the reality of the scheduling that you had. Um, so I wonder if it has, it's like the uh, inverse of that, of like, that's just what they were able to do. In a apologetic sense, I mean, I, I thought it was very awkward too, but in an apologetic sense, it would be interesting if the intent was that her character set up as a porno embodiment because she, she technically is no, no real personality, no real character, just this, you know, external covering of the magazine world that the boys, uh, all men fantasize about that have been entrenched mm-hmm. in pornography. And then supposedly the comedic backfire that when you're actually in that situation, uh, it's not going to play out like the videos he had been watching, that he would be publicly humiliated. But uh, yeah, it's very cringeworthy because I think that could have been achieved without it becoming a uh, public forum <laughs> uh, exploitation video moment. Uh, even in that era, like never mind this this day and age of how you know, the internet and its abilities has, uh, has opened up so many creepy doors. Uh, even in 99, that was, uh, that was quite a shocking moment. I think I laughed more in 99 about it, uh, just cause Jason right. Biggs, uh, goes full, uh, 
cartoon, but but it is it is kind of a weird thing to watch. <laughs> I want to pick up on just a word that you use there, Dave, which is cringeworthy. And I'm I'm sure it's not the first example of this. I'm, there has to be things uh, previous to this, but it struck me as like, man, this feels like it was on the the beginning of what we now call cringe comedy, which I know some people just cannot do. Like they just do not like to feel that uncomfortable. But it it leans into that quite a bit. Where it's like, I feel bad for you because you are making a fool of yourself, and that's part of what is supposed to be funny. Um, I don't know. Do you have any outlook on that at all? Well, I mean, let's be serious. It's like the entire career of Sean William Scott. Like, right. Have yeah. you ever seen anything that he's ever done and thought, well, this is quality. I'm all in for this. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, him being in this film and I think, was this not like his, like, I think even the credit it's, he's credited as Sean Sh- W. Scott. Yeah. Which I find, and and yeah. he was only paid eight grand for that, for that role. I mean, he was so meant to be this one dimensional add on. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think for sure that this was really the, but I mean, we'd seen cringeworthy sure. things before, but I think that this was really where we saw it used as a plot device. Yeah. You, you know what makes it work in this movie? And I think that has been lost uh, in trans, no, in translation afterwards is that the whole thing balances out because of Eugene Levy. And I, f- I feel like mm. every moment in this film that, yeah, you, you literally cringe or I'm like, you know, uh, folded up on a couch and you're screaming like, no, he's not going to, it's typically, I think, followed by Eugene Levy twisting it the other way where the cringe is is just, uh, you know, classic SCTV stuff where he's just, he's just so over the top the other way. It's it's actually funny. Um, Well, I think that that's part of the genius of having someone like Eugene Levy in this, which is, yes, he is a a funny character. Like the character is meant to, to be funny, obviously. But it is so grounded in character rather than situation, right? It's just a dad trying to do the right thing and kind of fumbling with it because he's just a weird dad. It's like, let me show you these porno magazines because I want you to be safe. But it's like, it just comes off as like, oh God, dads, please stop. Uh, Rather than it being like, I don't know, drinking semen from a cup or whatever it happens to be, right? Like those overly exaggerated things that happen through through the rest of the movie. Uh, What do you you feel about Eugene Levy, Jennifer? Well, you know, I think the genius of Eugene Levy and and all of the American, I mean, we need to remember that he stayed with the American Pie franchise for probably the longest I of- think if I read correctly somewhere, he's the only person to be in every single one, including like the spinoffs and direct-to-video sequels. Like he's in every single one. Yeah, I think he's even continued to stay with it when the character of Jim had had not, which right. I think is just some really creative, creative writing. You know, he really does excel in that, in that ability to build the tension of that. It's like a new stepdad trying to give you a hug. You just yeah. think, oh, get how, what am I going to do to get out of this situation? But what I think is the genius of Eugene Levy, really, is that if you think of that scene where he's sitting on the edge of the bed with Jim and he pulls out the magazines, I think that that conversation could be in a film today. Right. There is nothing in that that doesn't, the, the tension remains the same. And I think that, you know, it's it's well documented that Eugene Levy wanted to improvise his own lines. He really did not like how this character was written. He really made a compelling case for himself to sort of like let these scenes unfold, which really does show the mastery of him. But I think he really, as you mentioned, looked at this through the lens of let's look at this character, not the situation. And I think that that speaks to the longevity of, of those scenes and, and how iconic they are. 
I, I think that's a great point is like there are certain elements of this movie that I absolutely believe could be put into a movie today and still remain funny. And I think that may be the most surprising thing. Comedy for me very often is the stuff that usually like uh, spoils quickest. Like when you go back to not that there aren't comedies from the 60s that I like, but it's like sometimes you go back and like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand what's funny about this either because of the references or the situations. Just They don't hold relevance anymore. But this is like that classic comedy writing that it doesn't it, it's all about tension and then the release of tension. It's like that classic way of, of writing it. It's a great soundbite too. Basically, we just need to have more SCTV people in films is Whoa. what I'm trying to say. It's hey, cr- a great show. Yeah. You know, we've been talking a lot here this, this season about 1999 being one of like the last years of like the teen comedy or, or even like just the teen movie being like a really big thing in, in culture. Um, and so we've seen a few, right? We've seen like Varsity Blues, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That. And what I appreciated too about this movie is that much like I feel at least in 10 Things I Hate About You, it feels like real teenagers <laughs> instead of like it's a 40-year-old trying to be a teenager. The biggest call out I have is the fact that they actually go to a house party rather than somehow teens going to a bar in Varsity Blues. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on with this. Um, so I appreciated that feeling of like, yeah, this feels like what a 90s house party would probably have been like, at least in the atmosphere of it, playing basically what the late 90s soundtrack was, like Bare Naked Ladies, Blink-182, like all of these like big hits that were playing there. Of, of course you can name them all. So, Kyle, I think... Uh, I'm very white, Dave. I don't know if you've noticed this before. <laughs> I think, just like you said, what's fascinating, not just that they're at a house party, but it actually feels like a house party because how many movies do they go to a quote-unquote rave or a bar or something? And it's just so right. plastic and fake. Um, and this is where uh, the beginning of the career of the brilliant John Cho starts. <laughs> coining the yeah, term I mean, milf I, when he I mean, showed up great. i'm like wait a second john show is in this yeah movie? he's harold man like, was, this is where harold yeah. comes from i, I actually <laughs> was waiting for kumar to show up but i think it was just harold sure. in this movie yeah but yeah I th- yeah m- it, most people don't know that harold and kumar is actually just a uh spin-off. spin-off of the american pie franchise i think it does also one of the things i found interesting about the house party is that the realism is is certainly garnered by the fact that everybody gets into their groups which yes. is such a house party thing but the other thing is that the film didn't have a moment where they tried to explain the groups they're like you know how like for example in mean girls they're like this is this group and this is this group and right. you always see that in a film like we have to point out who these people are because we just assume you've never left your basement but american pie took the assumption that hey listen you've been where we're taking you now we're trying to give you that authenticity but you could see in every scene in the background and foreground that you know people were getting into their groups and mm-hmm. and you know eyeing where they belonged and i think that 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 high school pecking order thing is something you don't often see in film done correctly. Right. And I think American Pie gets it right. I, I agree. It, it, there's a lot of like that showing, not telling inside this film, which is really greatly appreciated. I I wrote some notes down, like I've started to do now as I as I watch these films. And I actually wrote down the same thing, Dave, that you just mentioned. It's like, is this the first time they say MILF in a movie? There's some there's some uh, quotes that I just I want to break down here a little bit. Again, I, not to say that every quote from a movie is like i guess meant to be taken literally sometimes it's there for like uh bringing in a uh, an idea so that it can be you know brought down by the end of it but uh i mean so the bet that they actually make right it's like we're all gonna get laid 
by the end of prom. First of all, <laughs> it's so weird that they bring it up and they're like, but we're not going to have anything. Like, there's not going to be um, Prostitutes. Uh, any negative effects for people who don't don't achieve this like oh that's weird like usually a movie tries to add in stakes at this point and it's like they're actively removing stakes from the plot so it's i thought that was inspirational goal setting yeah it's it's my 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 mood board has been put up onto the wall and um but i think they what they say is like this is for every man who isn't getting laid and should be like that's kind of what they're one of the one of the characters main motivation is which i mean not to bring too much politics into this but i'm going to anyways which is that i mean that is kind of like like the whole incel movement is about that, right? Like that we deserve to be having sex and I'm not, and I'm not having sex yet. Yeah, no, I don't feel like the movie ends up on that side at all. Like, I don't think that's what the movie is saying, but that's certainly what it's set up as at the very beginning. Uh, I, that's but isn't that a call out to the genre that it was always like you, a, the passage from childhood to adulthood mm. is sex, like that tunnel. It's just that that's one side and the other side. And so I think the film starting there is really a call out to all the films before that who were like, you know, we were making the assumption that you think we're going to start here and we're going to start here. Yeah. Like I can't get into the head of the, of the writer, but I think it was interesting that they started there. They ultimately wound up somewhere different, right. which I think speaks to the, 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 the film as a whole. But I think wanting to bring us all along the ride of that is assumption that we've long held was kind of a, a neat way to go. I always felt that sex was like fireworks, a train going into a tunnel, you know, just the classic. It's classic not? imagery. No, I, apparently not. Well, there's um, trains then. Well, I, I just think that there's involved. a, I don't know, Kyle, it's a, it's a big stretch. It's just because, I mean, I don't even think it's in film. I think it's, uh, yeah, just ingrained. I don't know about women, of course, but in male culture, uh, yeah, sex is the rite of passage. And, you know, you can talk about the drinking age and the driving age and all that kind of shit. But at the end of the day, for better or for worse, um, yeah, sex is sex. is sex, And uh, I don't know much about the incel movement. That's, that's from, a quote that they'll put onto the cover of this film. Hey, sex is sex. Sex is sex. Uh, about the incel movement uh, on a personal note, because I hopefully don't know any. Um, we'll see as uh, these things unravel. But uh you know, there's a difference, I think, between the creepy basement entitlement, having watched too much pornography, and then the sort of naivete of a couple of, I don't know, 17-year-olds who uh, just feel like everybody else got it. You know, that FOMO mentality. Uh, mm -hmm. I think those are two different things. Uh, the incel idea is much more violent. Don't you live in a basement, Dave? I mean, I mean I, yes. And I think, to your point, Dave, something that you recurrently kind of bring up uh, in these episodes is this idea of film as like a period piece. And I, what I think is fascinating about this is that, you know, this is again, before smartphones, before the internet like really took off, definitely before social media. So I think some of the things that they're combating are very different, right? There was that feeling like, oh, everyone else is having it, but I'm not um, inside of high school. But more than that, I don't think some of the plot points would have happened if this was set 10 years after this movie, for instance. It would just be in a very different world in that high school. I don't know if you have, like Jennifer, I know you. Uh, we were talking <laughs> uh, while the movie was playing, of course, that, uh, that this does have, would be a very different film where it's set today. Oh, yeah. If not just for the, for the appearance of cell phones, right? right? Like, it's important to note this movie is devoid of technology. To a large, with the exception of the scene with Nadia and Jim. Right. I think that this film holds up because it was, it was made when it was made. But how you would go about making this film today, 
I don't, I don't think it's possible. I think the, the, the women's movement, the Me Too time, that's moved women into a very different sexual space. And I think f- for, for men, specifically, you know, white, five white mm-hmm. males, I mean, it's important to know this film does not excel in diversity. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I just don't know if those characters would have that same, that same journey because there'd be barriers of technology, barriers of conscience, you know, social pressure. I, I, I just don't think that it could be made at this time yeah. and be reflective of the period. I, I'm I'll quip too. I mean, you know, the opening sequence, nobody will get that anymore, but I, I've done that. There used to be all the pay porno channels used to be on the hidden right. uh, cable things. And if you pay yeah, to unlock the, it, the whole idea about a scrambled cable yeah, channel yeah. means absolutely nothing. It was, it was nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, you're talking about whether the uh, father son dynamic could hold up, but uh, a father's not going to log on to a free porn site with you to teach you about sex anymore. I mean, I don't even know if they make magazines because uh, literally oh, they do. anything is available at the click of a mouse as long as you're ready to deal with uh, the right. internet blowback. Uh, yeah. Well, I, that's kind of almost the interesting thing. And uh, I guess, have either of you seen any of the sequels to this movie? I don't know. Because I know that there is the the sequel that came out like a couple years after this there's the wedding american wedding and then there's a reunion one uh that happened like in whatever 2010 or something around around that time frame i'm just saying what would actually be kind of interesting is to see jim's teenage son <laughs> kind of take over and see what that would look like in a modern context if they wanted if they ever desired to continue this franchise on uh i don't know if anyone is interested in doing that but i think that there is something to be said about like current sexuality, the realities of online porn, and still like uh, a young man and young women coming to grab, uh, trying to grapple with uh, sex and, and sexuality. I don't know. I feel that there's something there that could actually be really interesting if they decide to continue on with this. I was watching this video with this uh, Indian guru Swami guy, and uh, his videos were kind of fascinating. The ones that were on YouTube were where I conferences where he would speak and then people would be open to ask whatever questions they want and he would answer them uh, wisely. And one of the ones that I came across was uh, uh, a man got up and he said um, something along the lines of like, uh, should we still be able to masturbate? Um, and is there something wrong with that? And, uh, you know, the Swami's kind of stance, uh, paraphrasing, is that, you know, the sexual desires and the physical being are natural. And, you know, at times you're going to have to uh, pleasure yourself. But the problem with modern society says he researched allegedly that something like over 70% of the volume of the internet is now pornography. And he said something along the lines of, you know, when you eat rotten food, you have diarrhea, you know, if you keep uh, inputting all of these negative things like pornography, which has terrible, <laughs> never mind what was think about morally, but the roles expressed in pornography, what they're telling men they're supposed to do and be, or it, it's insane. It's violent. It's crazy. Um, and the expectations, kind of like the Nadia scene of how that's supposed to play out, it's completely changed the nature in which I suspect teenagers, we're talking about the incel movement, so single men, single women, and then uh, all of the proliferations of all the different sort of ambisexuality and, and gender norms has completely uh, become ambiguous. We don't live in the American pie world anymore. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just much different, much weirder, and much, much more accessible. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's well said. Yeah. It's well said. I think that that opening part that he mentioned should just be the description of this episode. I'll, I'll do my best to remember to put that in. I, I mean, something you mentioned, Jennifer, was the fact like this movie is not going to win any awards for diversity. But one thing that I found actually kind of fascinating, again, my preconceived notions coming into this film, is that it actually passes the Bechdel test really swimmingly. I don't know if either of you, I think I've mentioned this to you, Dave, um, but just to, to reiterate, the Bechdel test is not something that says like you're a good or bad film if you pass it or don't pass it. It's just a, a a point that so few films can pass it, which is, does your, it has to pass three things, which is, does it have uh, more than one female character? Do those characters speak is the second one. And the last one is, do they speak about something other than a man? And so this film actually does. They actually are talking about their own feelings and like their own relationships and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there's multiple women in this film that actually go on and like actually have conversations. Uh, Natasha Lyonne is in this film, which I was like, oh, I didn't know she was in this film She's either. She's awesome. Like, yeah, so there's some, I don't know. I, I, again, it was my preconceived notions, but I thought it was interesting that it was able to pass it so easily. Just to throw my preconceived notions in, I wonder if the writer stopped writing because this is actually ghostwritten by a woman. This does not feel like it's written by a heterosexual male. It, it's got oh, too it much sure depth. sure doesn't. Yeah. It's got too what much. What do you think that is, though? Like, what, what? What about it? Doesn't feel like that for you, Dave? Well, there's powerful women roles. I mean, <laughs> even the Tara Reid uh, character in the end dumps the guy <laughs> after yeah. making this big deal about you know the concept of love and the uh, the role that sex has uh, in that. And then once it's over, she has this epiphany that it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter at all. Um, that's not the fantasy of a male writer and we've seen that in the night at least in 99 with all of the all the crap we've been watching uh, and i've already aired my bitterness about the so-called romances of the modern era like the fucking notebook and all this other garbage that are clearly written by probably incellular men who just want to have this fantasy of you know women that are draping themselves all over as some stoic male figure it's just not the reality men are Men are pathetic in reality. We're we're whiny, man, and we're we're looking for we're looking for gratification. Uh, that's not how this movie uh, plays out, in my opinion, anyway. To further Dave's point, though, I think a, a tip off that it could have been ghostwritten by a woman easily. I don't, I'm not sure if it's in the. I, I think it could be in the Tara Reid character of Vicky. It could also be in the Allison Hannigan character of Michelle, but I think it's really tipped off in Natasha Leone's character because for her to have the purview of hey, women can be just as vocal about sex as men. We can see it as just a transactional thing. We don't need to apply all of these things to it. It's really rare that you will see a, a male in power, a male writer in power, a, a, a female character in that way. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, just like Dave said, it's it's to be seen as this, this you know, as a, as a person that furthers a narrative that, that, that sex is the glorification of, of, of love. But Natasha Leone really breaks that down to be like, what, what was the matter with you? Or it, like I, from from my feelings, again, maybe this will be proved not to be true. But if there is a woman in a film, at least during that time, if there is a woman that was making that point, she was often labeled like a slut character. Like she was mm -hmm. like, but that's not what happens to the Natasha Leone character no. ever. So yeah, there's some really interesting power plays going on here. Just so we don't go to like an hour and a half here, <laughs> the one last thing they wanted to bring up is. This is my thing of the film. So again, this is biases of, of Kyle that are talking right here. Oh boy, here we go. Is that this is labeled a comedy, of course. And there is, there is this uh, 
uh, sex comedy musical that was written in the 1960s called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. And often what it is criticized as, which I actually end up believing to be true and, and agreeing with, is that that is less a movie that is, well, sorry, that is less a stage show that is funny and more a stage show that is clever. Uh, so it's not like I am uproariously laughing. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a funny lyric. That's, or so that's a clever lyric that's going on here. And I actually find it true for this film a lot too, where I was often sitting there watching and being like, oh, that's a clever like setup and joke. But very rarely was I actually laughing at what the situations were. It's like I was appreciating the writing. I was appreciating the characters. And maybe I'm making more of this than what needs to be. But I feel like if it's a comedy first, then it's like I should be actually laughing at a bunch of this stuff. Um, I don't know if either of you have any like counterpoints to, I don't know, that oh, weird you, point I'm trying to make. Yeah, you're just wrong. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Like if you were, if you were 16 and 17, right. you were laughing. Sure. But I never was. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I, I was born a fully formed 20 year old man. You know, I, and uh, not to get too, you know, tinfoil conspiracy hat thing on the writing, but I mean, there are, in my opinion, there are moments, I think this is the gross out humor that are laugh out loud or groan out loud or, you know, em, you have to emote. But there's a cleverness too with, yeah, like you were bringing up, that uh, transcend the typical male written raunch comedy. And so, I don't know, I think there's both. Uh, I, I was surprised watching this that I was actually LOLing as the kids, I think all the kid, that's a hip term. No, no one that's says that. The, oh boy. That's, that's what all the kids are using these days, LOLing. And I actually kind of walked out of the theater th surprised that I, uh, I kind of enjoyed it thoroughly on many levels, uh, more than I was anticipating anyways. So I know, Jennifer, you've kind of come down on this saying that you still believe this film to be culturally relevant. How about you, Dave? Do you think this is still holds up, still culturally relevant? What do you think? I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine a 16-year-old watching this. I mean, outside now? of not knowing what a yeah, scrambled porno was or that a dad. Like, I don't know. I, I think that- you Just uh, tell them that every dad had eyebrows like that <laughs> back in the 90s. Yours didn't? I, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think that from a uh, structural writing perspective, maybe, but I don't know culturally, like we were just discussing, the role of pornography, the role of men, the role of sex. I think those things have evolved quite a bit, and I'm not sure if this will actually hold water for people outside of the nostalgia of uh, of the 90s. So, yeah, I, I might actually say no, question mark, question mark, question mark. I'll give you three question marks. You give three question marks. I mean, I, I don't know. Where I come down on this is that regardless about what my ultimate opinion is on this movie, I feel that it's proved to be culturally relevant. We, there, there are still quotes that happen from this movie. Uh, like the Alison Hannigan character. I mean, that is so baked into the popular culture that I don't know. The, the people will quote that when they don't, probably haven't even seen the movie before. Is it still um, quoted and you're giving me a hard time about LOL? Are people still talking about Bandcamp? <laughs> I don't know. In my circles, they are. I just can't believe we've gotten this far into the podcast without someone saying it. Yeah. That one time in Bank. <laughs> there you go. It's out of the way now. That's out of the way. It only took 55 minutes. Kyle, where did um, you stick your flute? Well, I had a clarinet, so it was less sticking in than... Um, Jutting out? <clears throat> maybe. Yeah. Let's go on to other uh, Speaking things. of trains uh, and holes. Yep. Oh, boy. We're done here. Okay. So the machine has told us that we have to wrap this up. So 
Jennifer, I know this is a, a, a terrible thing, but I say it every single time when we have a guest on, your rating does not matter whatsoever. But I would still love to know, if you were to rate this film out of five, what would you rate it? Uh, I, you know, it's it's hard for me to to, to buy into the to to the podcast rating system because I liked election. Mm-hmm. So I'm in trouble already. I, I would know. for this. For <laughs> I, this? I, I loved election. <laughs> Dave hated it. So that's, oh, that's on him. That's okay. We'll forgive Dave for that. Uh, you know what? I think I would give this I would give this film for its I think it, it I think it does have a historical significance and for its its nostalgia that it gives to a generation. I, I would give this uh, 3.8. Nice. I love it. Oh, 3.8. Nice. Dave, decimals. what are you going to rate this film out of five? How come we never got access to decimals? He's such a fucking <laughs> star. No, I almost said Nazi. That would have been, that'd have been inappropriate. I'm going to go with a, a pretty uh, hard. I was almost going to say erect three. Is that inappropriate? Yeah. <laughs> There's, yeah. Well, a, that makes no, no sense whatsoever. But okay. Yeah. Hard I'm, three. You I'm can a, say a hard a three. Stiff, yeah, I'll, I'll, a stiff three. <laughs> yeah. A uh, not a flaccid two. Oh yeah, I'll go with uh, a stiff three. I think. Well, Dave, we're back on uh, simpatico with each other because that is also what I was going to rate this film was a three. So what that means that it is uh, currently tied. Actually, interestingly, I know which way I would go with this. Mm. It is currently tied with election. Ha. Yeah. So would you rate this above election yes. or below election? Above. For me, how are we going to split well, this? I well, we have a guest, so this is going to make it really easy because <laughs> I would rate it. I would rate election above American Pie. How about you, Jennifer? What would you do? Oh yes, I would rate this above. Okay, well that means then that American Pie is going to enter our list at the number twelve position. If you do want to see our full list, um, when the link actually works, it is at our letterboxed page. You can see that in the show notes. You can go there and take a look at it. It is letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. KDVSTM is also our social media handle. Uh, so if you want to check us out on Twitter or on Instagram, you can do that also. Uh, you can also, if you are in a giving mood, you can rate us and talk about us on iTunes or whatever place you listen to podcasts on. That also that uh, really helps us out a lot. And you can also send us an email, Kyle and Dave versus the machine at gmail.com. I do not think there's a longer email address out there. We have an email? We do have an email. No one's used it yet, but we do. Um, so, Dave, let's get into some quick trivia hits here. Let me, uh, let me hit you to some things. I'm so, hip. number I'm one, it. it took four tries for this film to get an R rating instead of an NC-17 from the MPAA, which just goes to show you how different the rating systems are in the U.S. versus Canada, because I'm... I don't know if it was PG-13 or not, but I mean, this would be, this would not, <laughs> it would not be hard to get this be shown in Canada. We usually have a pretty, a lesser rating than what they have in the US. Isn't this the era, I mean, isn't this the era where there's still AA and like there, it was a little bit more diverse. I, I don't even know, does NC-17 still exist in the States? In the US it does. It doesn't, in Canada it's called, um, is there, there's no AA R. anymore. It's RPG-13, is that? the new middle ground well there's different rating systems on television versus uh films which makes it even weirder but no canada has gpg 14a r and then there's another one i can't remember what it is but very rarely is that ever used anyways doesn't matter that's ratings on the 20th anniversary of american pie in 2019 
It met with some backlash on news and social media over the film's more dated aspects. Particular scrutiny was paid to the hidden camera scenes involving foreign exchange student Nadia, played by Shannon Elizabeth. Looking back, Elizabeth said that these scenes were problematic, in quotes, uh, in the post-Me Too era and would never have been approved these days. I think that just goes to show the stuff that we've been already discussing here uh, in, in this case. There's things that uh, hold up and things that uh, that don't hold up. Uh, Dave, why don't you tell us your two pieces of trivia? Okay, robot. The apple pie is from Costco. This it's, is like brand new information. Wow. That's, That's why amazing. it was so large. It's also why I think even before the deed that he does, that pie looks absolutely unappetizing to me. <laughs> I don't know what it is about store-bought pies. They never look good to me. I've, I'm just trying to think, like, have I ever... Put my, with a pie? put my fingers in a pie. Never. You, no. you, oh, God. We're going to cut that out, right? I just don't like being sticky, Dave. It's that's a not, big thing with that, me. That's not what I've heard. Eugene Levy was told he could improvise much of the dialogue for his character, including the part when flipping through the pornographic magazines with Jim, forcing a noticeably muffled laugh from Jason Biggs with the giant orgy line. It's like a Saturday Night Live break the character moment. Yes. <laughs> Should have kept that. Or like modern day comedy where I always kind of feel like, oh, this is like the 10th uh, run through of this scene where they're just like Do whatever using you want. random lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Dave, I guess we should see what we are going to be seeing here next week. I'm just going to push this button here. Uh, oh, we talking about Saturday Night Live. We're going to be watching Superstar next week. Do you remember uh, Superstar? Mary, Ma Mary Catherine Mary Gallagher. Mary Catherine Gallagher. She, I, I yeah. again, cannot imagine that this film holds up either, but no. I guess I've been proven wrong <laughs> already on this podcast, so I guess we'll see. What, uh, any thoughts on Superstar, Jennifer? You know, the magic of Molly Shannon. I'd be interested to know when she looks back on that body of work, what she thinks. Yeah. Molly Which, Shannon, by the way, can I just say, Molly Shannon today is like this phenomenal actress. I've seen her in a couple things like in dramatic roles. I don't know, maybe it says that thing about seeing uh, people that are well-known for comedy finally doing something dramatic. Like, oh, they can actually be dramatic too. I don't know. She's great. I feel like most comedians are actually quite, I mean, you have to be a little bit of a tortured soul to look for mm. that much gratification looking like an idiot. But I saw her and Will Ferrell doing, what is it, the Rose Bowl or some shit? Oh, so right, in character. I, yeah. don't, I don't think she has any regrets about her career. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably true. Well, there you go. Uh, so, Dave, are you actually gonna are you gonna eat that pie? Yeah, I mean that's that's what that's why I brought it so we could All we right. could put it in our mouths. Um, I'd rather you stay away from my mouth, thank you, Dave. Again, and on that's that, not what I've, I've got to go. <laughs>